Palabar uh, congregations. And so Russell's preaching there this morning. I'm preaching here. Uh, it's really great to be back. So we're in a series called Basic Truth, where we're looking uh, at, I guess, the fundamentals of the Christian life. So um, I understand about four or five weeks ago, you began by looking at what it meant uh, to, that God is, is gracious. He's a God of grace. Then we looked at salvation. Uh, then we looked at uh, the fact that God reveals himself to us and he does so through his word. Last week, I'm pretty sure you looked at um, basically what it means to be both a saint and a sinner. That on the one hand, uh, a glorious change has taken place, yet we still uh, struggle with the presence of sin. Uh, this week, we're particularly looking at like what, it, what it looks like for us to battle that sin. Uh, and theologians have called that sanctification, the process where we become more holy. And that's what we're looking at. So if you've got your Bibles... Have them open to Romans 7, uh, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, get into it. Our loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise and give thanks to you for this beautiful day that we're able to come as your people, and we're able to hear you speak. Uh, mighty God, we thank you that your word is powerful, it's precious, it's sweet. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be applying it to our hearts this morning. Uh, where we feel uh, discouraged, I pray that you would build us up and encourage us. Lord, where we are wandering from you, Lord, call us back. Father, where we are, uh, our thinking has errors in it, we pray that you'd correct them. Uh, and Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we pray that you would do all, do all this to the great end that we would be built up into Christ and into his image. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the house that I grew up at when I was uh, a kid had a door frame and the door frame actually had a whole bunch of door frames, but it had one particular door frame that uh, dad would mark off our height as we grew. You might have had something similar. And so once a year, dad would kind of line us kids up and he'd scratch a little notch in the door frame and then put our initials in it. Uh, and write the year. And the good thing about that is as a kid, you'd kind of turn around and you'd have a look. This is how tall I am now. And, and that's how tall I was last year. And for me, I had an older sister. I was pretty keen to be able to catch up with her uh, and, and, and overtake her. And door frames like that, they tell a story, don't they? They tell a story of our growth, how we mature. The door frame in our house basically told the story that in 1998 I stopped growing. Well, certainly stopped growing up. Um, but, uh, and so if you were to go there and have a look at it, you, you, could, you could see it. Now, the reality is, is that the Christian life is also a story of growth. If you'd like to think about it this way, you can think of the Christian life as a door frame where over the course of your life, there are little notches that are marked into the door frame. And ultimately, when Jesus returns, that final notch will be masked and it will be Christ-likeness. That's the point that where we're going. So Romans 8.29, we didn't read it in this particular reading, but later on Romans 8 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So that's where we're going. That's that final notch. It's, we're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus. The question is, how do we get there? 
How does that actually happen? Because if you're anything like me, you come here today uh, very much aware that you don't reflect the image of Christ perfectly. So how does it happen? Well, it happens through sanctification. That's what we're going to look at today. Simply look at three things. Where does it start? What's its activity? And what expectations should we have? Where does it start? What's its activity? And what expectations should we have? So where does it start? I think when it comes to change, we most of all think change happens as a decision of our will. Uh, And so um, if I want to lose weight, I just kind of go, all right, I need to lose weight. And it begins within, I make a commitment to eating less, to exercising more, and uh, that's where that change begins. And certainly, uh, I think that's a lot of the way we think about change. Change begins with us. Listen to Barack Obama. Uh, He was known for his rhetoric. Uh, uh, Listen to what he says. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change we seek. And that, I think, resonates with the way we see change in a whole bunch of ways. The problem is when it comes to being changed to be more like Jesus... We are not the change we seek. We actually get in the way of change. And there are two great obstacles that stand in the way. The first is uh, that we're guilty people. Uh, We heard about this in week two, saved by God, we're guilty. Um, And so if God is going to begin a work of change in us, he has to get rid of guilt. And so Romans 8 begins with that, doesn't it? Listen to Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A new declaration has been made that we're no longer condemned, we're no longer guilty, but uh, week two we talked about the fact that we were justified. And we're justified, verse three, on the basis of the fact God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. My sin, my guilt is put onto Jesus, he takes it, and his righteousness is given to me, and I am forgiven. A new verdict has been made. No condemnation. Righteous. So there's the first obstacle, the first place that sanctification starts. It starts with a new verdict. But there's another problem with us too, isn't there? It's our heart. Our heart is corrupt. Our heart rejects the Lord Jesus. So have a look at verse 7 of Romans 8. The mind governed by the flesh, that's the sinful nature, the sinful heart, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God. See, this is basically saying you can't change yourself to become more like Jesus because your heart is, is um, predisposed to do the opposite. It's to predisposed to be hostile to God. So if we are going to be changed, if we're going to be sanctified, we actually need to be given a new heart. And it picks up this theme that right throughout the Old Testament, there's a promise given to us of a new heart. So Ezekiel 36 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. We are regenerated by God. See, 
if we are ever to change to become more, more like Jesus, these two great obstacles, our, our guilt and our, our corrupt heart need to be fixed. And they are, we are justified. A new declaration is made. We're no longer guilty, but we're also, we've also been regenerated. Our heart is changed. God puts his spirit in us. And only then can we become more like Jesus. Only after God has intervened in our lives can we actually change to become more like him. Kind of reminds uh, me of a pot plant that sits out on our deck outside uh, of our house. Uh, Deb and I have noticed for a number of years that this pot plant is, uh, is stunted. It's not growing. It looks pretty pathetic. Uh, it looks pretty close to death. And our approach to that is, well, you just keep watering it. It'll fix itself up. Just keep watering, pour water and pour water. Um, that is until Deb's brother popped over. He's a horticulturalist. Um, and he just said, no, the problem with this plant is if you kept doing that, it would die. The problem with this plant is it needs new soil. It actually needs a new pot, a bigger plot, or you put it out in your garden, and only then can it grow. And the same with us. We simply cannot grow to become more like Jesus on our own. We need God to do work for us, to justify us. We also need God to do work in us to regenerate us. We need the soil of our hearts repotted. And only then can we actually be changed. Only then can we become more like Jesus. Now, before we kind of go on to the next point, you kind of might be sitting here wondering, doesn't that kind of mean that only those who are saved by Jesus can become like him? Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what the Scriptures say. And you might be thinking, well, what about those people in my life who don't know Jesus, and yet they're just really lovely people? They do the kind of things that God would tell them to do. So Deb and I have some friends um, and they have one of the best marriages I've ever seen. They're very faithful, they, are, they, they, um, they love one another, they're gracious toward one another. They're also just very generous with their time and money uh, and yet they don't know the Lord Jesus. And you kind of think, well, hold on, they're doing works that God would command them to do Isn't that sanctification? Well, here's the thing. Sanctification only happens to Christians. What we actually see in the lives of people around us, where it certainly seems that they're living according to the way God would want them to, uh, basically, that is a kind of a gift of God's general grace. He gives to them certain behaviours that do align with his law. The difference is, is that not, they're not done for God. They're not done out of a love for Jesus. They're done because, well, that's kind of what they think is the right thing to do. Sanctification only happens after a work of God has been done on us. Now, certainly, I'm very thankful for this couple. I'm very thankful for their marriage, for their generosity. But that's not the work of sanctification that we're talking about here. It starts with our justification, with our regeneration. So what does it actually look like? What activity does it bring about in our lives? That's the second point. Um, Let's have a look at uh, verse 12 of Romans 8. He says this, Paul, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation... 
But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Uh, We have an obligation, Paul says, but we don't have an obligation to the sinful nature. We don't have an obligation to them. The sinful nature, the flesh, leads to death. No, we have an obligation to the Spirit. The Spirit is this new life that lives within us. We have an obligation to Him. And, and what does that obligation actually look like? It means to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Verse 12, if, the spirit you, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And, and here we're introduced to a way of thinking about the Christian life Uh, that the death and resurrection of Jesus isn't just the basis of our salvation, it's the pattern for our living, isn't it? The death and resurrection of Jesus isn't just the basis by which we're saved, it's the pattern for our living. Right throughout Paul's writings particularly, you hear him talk about the fact that with Christ we have died and been raised to life. That's actually happened. And so he's saying the pattern of your Christian life is to die to sin so that you are raised to live a life for Jesus. That's the pattern, it's to put to death sin. Uh, And so if you were to go home and read Ephesians after the service, you'll hear in Ephesians 4, Paul talking about taking off sin and putting on righteousness. It's this idea of changing your clothes. Well, it's the same thing, isn't it? Taking off, it's putting to death sin, Putting on is living to Jesus, living to righteousness. Now, this actual understanding of putting to death sin is actually something that's, uh, it's actually quite violent language, isn't it? Puts into death. If you've ever read the book, uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, there's this wonderful illustration in it that kind of helps us to understand what it looks like. Anybody read The Great Divorce? Hands up, who's read Great Divorce? Nobody? Okay, so... Let me give you a bit of context. C.S. Lewis, great writer, wrote the Narnia books, wrote the book called The Great Divorce. And it's a a made-up story of a busload of people who are in hell uh, taking a visit to heaven. Now, it's made up. This kind of stuff doesn't happen. Um, But in the story, he makes some really amazing points. And so this busload of people from hell go to heaven and they're described as these ghostly, shadowy people. Uh, and in one particular episode, there's one man uh, from hell. He's walking around heaven. He's got a little red lizard on his shoulder. And the little red lizard is supposed to kind of be uh, a description of temptation. And uh, C.S. Lewis describes this ghostly man walking around heaven. He's having this constant conversation with a little red lizard. They're having this chat. And an angel sees them. And an angel comes up and says, is everything okay? And the, little, the, the man says, yes, 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 everything's fine. He said, oh, I just told this little red lizard on my shoulder to be quiet while we were visiting here because it wouldn't be appropriate for him to speak while we're in heaven. And he's just not, not doing what he needs to do. And the angel says, can I kill the lizard? And the man says, mm, I'm not sure if that's necessary. You know, um, I've told him to be quiet. He'll be quiet. And if he doesn't, I'll just ignore him. And the angel says, can I kill the lizard? And this conversation goes backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, until finally the angel says, if I don't kill the lizard, he will kill you. 
And so finally, this man agrees and the angel holds out his hand, grabs the lizard and, and kills the lizard. And at that moment, the man is transformed into a full person, a person of substance. He becomes who he's intended to be. He's no longer a ghostly, shadowy man of hell. He becomes a person of heaven. Now, this is made up. This kind of stuff doesn't happen, but it makes a powerful point, doesn't it? We can't mess with sin. The way the Bible talks about sin is we need to put it to death. See, and that is the work of the Spirit in our lives. The Spirit reveals to us as we read the Word of God the darkness of our hearts. He shines light on our sin. He, he, he encourages us with the encouragements and promises of Scripture. He warns us with the warnings of Scripture. And in doing that, He's slowly moving us toward putting sin to death. Now, I want to ask you today, are you walking in step with the Spirit? Do you listen to His work in your life? See, I suspect for lots of us, we have this process much like the man with the lizard on his shoulder, don't we? We kind of just want sin to just be quiet. Maybe we can just ignore it. But we're not quite ready to put it to death. But this is what sanctification looks like. Putting sin to death. So when the Spirit warns us and encourages us, we listen to the Spirit. We put it to death so that we can live a new life for God, for righteousness. See, I suspect that there are some here today who are perhaps feeling discouraged in this, in this walk, in this work. And if that's you, can I encourage you? Can I encourage you to get involved in that work that the Spirit is doing in you of putting sin to death? Because ultimately sin kills And the life that we're called to live is life. It is good. So we've talked about the starting point. Uh, We've talked about the activity of sanctification. It's it's putting sin to death and living for righteousness. What about expectations? Um, We're just going to finish off by talking about a few expectations. Uh, Sanctification, the first thing we should expect about it is that as Christians, because of the work of sanctification, we should expect to grow. We should expect to grow. Where you are now, I think it's very reasonable as a Christian to to expect that where you are now should be different to where you are in five, five years ago, that there should be a level of growth. That is because it is the Spirit of God who is at work in you. I think one of the dangers we have, and certainly in Romans 6, Paul makes this a way, we're, we're saved by grace, so what I do doesn't really matter. But clearly, what we do does matter. We are saved from sin to Christ, to live for Him. And our good works aren't the basis of our salvation, but they are the fruit of it. So as Christians, we should expect to grow. Secondly, and this kind of qualifies that first part, expect it to be a process. Uh, Sanctification isn't going to happen overnight. Uh, you know, I know very few people who had the Apostle Paul experience where, you know, just 
basically in a moment his life completely changed. He went from someone who's killing Christians to building the church. Most people don't have that as their experience. Most people, it's a much more kind of up and down experience. Most people have these incredible seasons of summer growth in their lives where they will just love the things that God loves. They'll find listening to the work of the Spirit really easy and they'll love doing that. But there are other times where they'll have seasons of winter where growth just feels really hard. It feels slow and it's just really hard to see how you're kind of moving. You know, I think often growth in the Christian life can kind of feel like you go up and then you kind of drop down and you go up and there's a trajectory to it but nonetheless there are kind of peaks and troughs and this is part of sanctification. Remember uh, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter even long after he'd been given the Spirit at Pentecost, the Apostle Paul had to pull him up because the Apostle Peter was actually had stopped eating with Gentiles. He had kind of a season where he dropped and then after the, the Spirit continues to do work and he grows. So it's a process. So we should expect growth, we should expect it to be a process. Finally, we should expect resistance. Expect it to be hard. Uh, if you're kind of sitting here and thinking, man, sanctification is just hard, that's kind of normal. You're, you're putting something to death. You're in a battle. You're, you're killing sin. And, and so there's resistance to it. The flesh continues to be present, wanting us to sin. See, sometimes I speak to, uh, to people in our church uh, and one of the things I sometimes hear is, well, you know what, I guess I just feel if something feels unnatural to me, if it's just too hard, I, I guess I just feel it's probably not the right thing to do. Now, it may not be the right thing to do, but it could very well be the thing to do. Sometimes following Jesus will feel unnatural. It'll feel odd. And that's because the flesh is there and we're battling it. The way we work out whether we should be doing it or not is just whether it's, it's not whether it's hard or whether it's easy. It's actually by listening to the Spirit of God teach the Word of God to us. That's how we work it out. See, one day Jesus is going to return and he will mark that last notch in the doorframe of our Christian lives and it'll be Christ-likeness. Well, that'll be a wonderful day, won't it? Done with sin finally and fully. That'll be a wonderful day. Um, that process starts now. It started the very moment that you accepted the Lord and the Lord Jesus into your life. And so, walk in step with his spirit, put to, den, put to death sin so that you can live to righteousness. Let's pray. Our mighty God, Lord, uh, we come to you and we just want to pray and ask for your forgiveness. Ask for your forgiveness for those times in our lives where your spirit has revealed sin to us. And we have not sought to put it to death, but we've flirted with it. We've sought to deal with it on our own. 
Heavenly Father, forgive us for that. We pray that your spirit would be at work in us as we read your word to reveal your truth, to show what it is to be more like your son Jesus. And Heavenly Father, as he does that, Lord, I ask that we would be people who cooperate with his work. Lord, that we would put sin to death, that we would cooperate with his work in doing that so that we can live to righteousness. Father, where we feel discouraged, point us to Jesus. Lord, because in him we have forgiveness and in him we have righteousness. And by your spirit, help us to live out that righteousness. And we ask this in his name. Amen.